Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, if you have a Bible this morning, Amos chapter 6, Amos chapter 6, it's in the Old Testament, and um, right in the middle of all of, those, uh, all of those names that sometimes are hard to pronounce, right there in the middle of them, that's where they are. Amos chapter 6, we're working our way through this, uh, two or three more sermons in this series. Um, here, uh, if you forgot to say, if you're using the Bible app, please feel free to open that app and find our live event. You can track along with sermon notes, scriptures, all that other stuff. If you need a Bible, you can put in your lap. Uh, there is one or some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Uh, you can feel free to use that. Okay, so here we go. Um, I want to put you in a, in a dream here. Can you go with me? All right, you in a dream? Here's where I want you to go. I want you to go um, that you are playing flag football, or for you gals, if you would prefer powder puff football, however you want to term it. But just put in your mind, you're playing uh, football, okay? And you're out there on the playground, and you're picking up teams. Okay, I'm going to pick you, and I got you, and I'm the quarterback, so I'm going to choose you because you look fast, and so forth and so on. And then um, the, the last guy picked for the other team, you're the quarterback, last guy picked for the other team is J.J. Watt. Can everybody lock into this? And so you as the quarterback, you think to yourself, this is a crazy way to start a sermon. You're right. So you as a quarterback are there and you're getting ready to take the ball. And across the line from you is J.J. Watt. Everybody, fit? everybody got me? What, what is your primary emotion? You are terror. Yeah, I mean, you are, it is full on terror. Yeah? This... This is the text that we're about to encounter. Like, it, it's going to speak to us, and maybe, just maybe, we're going to be staring back on the other side of the line is J.J. Watt. Maybe, just maybe, we're going to see that. There's no real way to jump into this in a way that's friendly, and so let's just get going here. Today, the sermon is The Danger of Spiritual Arrogance. Here we go. Amos chapter 6, verse 1. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Kalna and see, and from there go up to Hamath the Great and go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better? Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? Or you who put away, put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. There's three expressions of spiritual arrogance that Amos highlights here. And I want to highlight them along with us. You ready? Here's number one. Expression number one of spiritual arrogance. Living in God's place, but not living as God's people. Living in God's place, but not um, as God's people. Let's talk about how this, well, let me just pause here. Um, just because of the stage of life that we are in, we've had this conversation around uh, some of this. Um, you send a kid off to college. Yeah, everybody's excited. You launch. Yes, go. But then they come back for the summer. And the, the 19 or 20 or 21 year old is used to having a certain amount of like autonomy. Yeah. And so when they come back in to your structure, they are bringing chaos to your order. They are bringing clothes to your floor. 
they are bringing bowls to your sink that don't make their way to the dishwasher and on and on and on, right? This is what happens. And so th- this is a little bit like that. Like all of a sudden, you've got two cultures that are kind of clashing. This is what we're talking about. You're living in my place, but not as my people. No? Okay. This does happen. Here's where we are. Uh, this is how this shakes out. Uh, look at verse 1. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. This, this, this is what we're talking about. The, the, Zion is God's place, his city, if you will. And to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men, <clears throat> excuse me, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. So he's taken uh, a shot at some of the ladies in chapter four. Now he's coming after the men here um, in chapter six, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Here's that expression. They are used to being served and not serving. They are accustomed to people coming to them instead of living as God's people. Um, when we follow Jesus, we are committing our lives to a life of service, to a life of giving our lives away, to a life of um, generosity and willingness, to our yes being on the table and being on the table consistently. We may execute it poorly at times, but the intent is always there. Instead of expecting things to come our way, instead of expecting uh, people to kind of make provision for us, we are the ones both generously and willingly giving our lives away. This is that instead of being accustomed to being served. Verse 2. Pass over to Kalma and see. Go from there to Hamath the Great. And then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory um, uh, greater than your territory? So here's... Uh, you, you, you assume that we are better than them. This is... One way that spiritual arrogance expresses itself is that we are better than them, whoever them is. And here's the thing. The people in this section over here, they've got a them. And it may not be the same as these people over here, but the truth is is that we've all got a them, that we are inclined to think that we are better than them. If anything, church family, we as the people of God um, should be marked by a humility and a dependence on God. Why? Because everything that comes into our life, every good thing that you and I have didn't come from our own kind of working this up. Every good thing has come down, James chapter 1, from the Father of lights. This is a good gift that comes to us. We have what we have because of the mercy and the grace of Jesus and nothing else. We're breathing today. Why? Because Jesus has said, you can have breath. It's not like we, we as the people of God ought to be the ones who are the most humble and the most dependent. And we shouldn't classify others as them because we just know like we're all in this thing. All of us. Assumption that we are better than them. This is how arrogance expresses itself. Lastly, verse 3. Oh, you who put away, who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of of violence. So here's what they're doing. They're saying, oh yeah, 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 yeah. God wouldn't do that to us. Why? Because we're his people. Yeah, God's going to do that to the other people, but not us. 
In other words, uh, there's a, a level of pretense that arrogance expresses itself as pretense that God will not do to me as I am doing to others. God won't do that to me. We're his favorite people. In the meantime, I'm going to kind of structure my life and the, the ways, of, uh, uh, the, the places where I can have influence and the circles in which I, I'm going to structure such that I am getting the most from everything that is around me and it doesn't really matter what it costs everybody else. I, according to verse 3, I put far away the day of violence. Oh, that'll never happen to us. But I bring near the seat of violence. I'm doing it right here at my table, so to speak. It's the reverse of the golden rule. Like, I do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Like, I don't think God will apply that to me. That's a problem. It's, a, it's an expression of arrogance. Instead of being marked by goodness and justice of God's people, we're marked by these kinds of things, injustice and, and wickedness and putting away. And, and just for clarity's sake, Amos, he's, he's only talking 40 years before the Assyrians come and wipe the place out, man. 40 years before all of these people that he's talking to are deported. It's coming. And so for us to function under a pretense that God will not do to me what I am doing to others, that's arrogant. Spiritual arrogance is living in God's place, but not as God's people. Aren't you glad you came to church? Everybody feeling good? Good. That was act one. It gets worse from here. Verse four. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock. And calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, like David invent them for themselves music, excuse me, instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first of those to go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. Here's another way that arrogance expresses itself. Spiritual arrogance expresses itself. As it expresses itself as comfort that ultimately numbs the spiritual senses. Comfort that numbs the spiritual senses. Back to verse 4. Woe to those um, who lie on beds of ivory, who stretch themselves out on their couches, eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the salt. This is comfort. This is the, the poetic expression of affluence and ease and comfort. And the reason why Amos is getting after him, we'll see in just a second, is primarily not because of what they have, but because of the, the things that they refuse to have. And we'll see that here in verse 6 in just a moment. Let's, let's work our way there, though. Because there is a danger in blessings. Do you know what the danger is? Here's the danger. That I am blessed in order to get more blessings. Like, I, I should just keep them. Like, I'm blessed to obtain more. I'm blessed, and now more. Yep, yep, that, blessings. I am blessed to get even more blessing. This is how it's beds of ivory, stretching themselves out, singing idle songs, drinking wine, and so forth, and that kind of thing. Um, if we think that, then we're missing the point. And um, I will say that I think our hearts, this is how the Bible diagnoses us, our hearts are kind of naturally inclined to believe this. So um, over, I, I think in the Bible app, there's a passage in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 that is referenced. This is actually a few verses uh, before that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, listen to verse 9. But those who desire to be rich, that's comfort right there, fall into temptation, into a snare, 
into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You hear danger in that? Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the, path, from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So, so the danger of blessings is I'm blessed to get even more. Like I'm just going to collect them. I'm just going to magnetize all of that kind of stuff to me. And, and our hearts are kind of naturally inclined there, which is why Paul has to say what he says. And, and then because our hearts are inclined there, there are times when people have to uh, make up things about God in order to justify the locations of their heart. Well, I don't think I know what you mean. Okay, let me invite you some late night to turn on your TV and look at the guy in the $1,000 suit with the $500 haircut pleading for you to sow a seed of faith and God will exponentially increase that so that you will prosper and all that kind of stuff. Now, you know what that is, right? I mean, those TV preachers, like that is a dump truck full of cow manure. That's what that is. There are times when God will lead us into hardship and ultimately produce good and it will be exactly what God wants for us. But yet the folks on TV will sell you the deal. Oh, listen, if you'll send me $100, God's going to increase that sevenfold. Blah, 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 blah. Listen, that is kindling for the fires of hell. That's all that that is. They are, they are shysters and selling you stuff that's just not in the Bible, folks. And so when we talk about, I, I am blessed to get even more blessings, this is the kind of thing, um, that, the kind of uh, uh, worst expression of that uh, within the church in, in our particular context here. This is the worst expression of that. I'm blessed to get even more blessings? No, that's not how it goes. What, what is the remedy then? If my heart is inclined that way and I have to make up stuff about God, oh, God's always going to bless you and everything's going to go up and to the right and you're going to get the promotion and you're never going to get sick and da, 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 da. And if you do, it's probably your fault in the first place. It's never God's fault. And they sell you all of that kind of stuff. And by the way, send me more money because I need to buy a $66 million jet. No. If my heart is inclined that way and, 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 um, I have to make up stories about God in order to justify the location of my heart that would be inclined that way. What then is the remedy? Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, this is in the Bible. Uh, it's uh, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of their 401ks. I mean, riches, that's what it says, on the uncertainty of riches. But on God, set their hopes not on riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the future um, treasure so that they may take hold of that, which is truly life. What's the remedy? I mean... Do we not enjoy things? Should we all just become like spiritual Spartans and just... Eh? 
No, 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 quite the opposite. God richly provides us everything to enjoy. So the remedy is, hey, God, thank you for this blessing. I will enjoy it. I will enjoy it in the way that you intend it to be enjoyed, and I will say thanks as a result of it. But there's more than just that. There's more than just humbly receiving this and enjoying it in the way that God has intended it to be enjoyed and saying thanks. There's also this. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. So I am blessed, therefore, to be a blessing. This is the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and it's the story of the people of God ever since. God blesses us, you and me, in material ways and many other ways in order that we can be a blessing. The the idea is, the remedy is to enjoy and to give thanks and to be a blessing. Generous, ready to share, Be, be filled with good works. This is how God wants us, how God wants us to live. And back, if you will, in, in uh, chapter, Amos chapter 6, look at verse 6. They drink wine in bowls, they anoint themselves with the finest oil, but they are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Here's the condemnation. Like here's the part where Amos, the prophet, takes out the whooping stick and goes to work. It's not because of their material situation. The, their problem was that they didn't actually weep over the sin, the, the, the ruin, the judgment, the, the stuff that was coming. They didn't weep over that. They're like, hey, man, you know, that's for a different day, different problem. Those people, blah, blah, blah. listen, they, their spiritual senses got so dulled that they, they, the hearts became so calloused and cut off from what was actually going on because of their comfort. That's the danger. Their, their comfort dulled their senses and they couldn't weep over the destruction and the chaos that was around them. That's the danger. And so for us to enjoy the things that God's given us and to give thanks and to do good keeps our senses alive such that we can weep when it is appropriate to weep. Spiritual arrogance. Living, its, living in God's place but not as God's people. Um, living so comfortable that our spiritual senses get numbed. And then skip down to verse 11. We'll come back to verse 8 through 10 in just a second. For behold, the Lord commands that the great house shall be struck down into fragments and the little house into bits. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with the oxen? And the answer is no, by the way. But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood or bitterness. You who rejoice in Lodabar, if you've got a little note there, it says nothingness or emptiness. You rejoice in emptiness. Who say, have we not by our own strength captured Karnaim for ourselves? For behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. And they shall oppress you from Lebohamath to the brook of Arabah. So here's the third expression of arrogance that Amos identifies. A, a kind of inversion and perversion. Here's inversion and perversion. Here's inversion. Um, he, he says here uh, in, in uh, uh, verse 12, middle of verse 12, you've turned justice into poison. And you have turned the fruit of righteousness, that what should be sweet, into bitterness. So let's, let's break it down for you and for me. Anybody, uh, ever so often around here, like in the office, uh, 2 o'clock, that kind of mid-afternoon lull, somebody goes, I'm making a sonic run, who wants? And people will stick their heads out and go, give me up, whatever. And it just kind of happens that way. And who's ever going comes back and, you know, I want a vanilla, Dr. Pepper, or whatever your choice of drink is. We run over to Sonic, come back. 
and the drink carrier comes in and stuff starts getting distributed and you ordered a vanilla Dr. Pepper and all should be well in the world, a little pick-me-up in the afternoon, a little sugar hit, a little caffeine, get you over the hump, going to get you all the way to dinner time and all the work that you have to do. You got all that kind of stuff and you get the straw in and you go to drink it and it's Diet Coke. Now, for all you vanilla Dr. Pepper fans out there, do I have any in the house vanilla Dr. Pepper? Thank you so much. If you throw down on, I mean, you're expecting the sweetness and the goodness of vanilla Dr. Pepper, but you end up with a Diet Coke, you know the facial contortions that you will go through? Just because it's so like, what just happened? This is what we're talking about. What was good was made into poison. Now, Diet Coke... But what was good was made into poison. What was sweet was made into whatever Diet Coke is, bitter. And, and it's funny when it's a Sonic run. You remember when we used to spray uh, vegetables with DDT? Hey, I've got a great idea. Let's load up a plane full of toxic poison, fly it over our orchards and other uh, agricultural stuff, and spray it. That's a great idea. Off we go. That wasn't a good idea. Everybody should drink more water. It's healthier when you drink more water. And you're in Flint, Michigan. Or we can just bring it home to a super fun site. Right up here. Again, it, it can be slightly unpleasant all the way up to toxic. This is the inversion that happens when spiritual arrogance takes over. What is good is made into poison. What is sweet is made into something bitter. But it's not just inversion. It's also perversion. Look at um, verse 13. You who rejoice in emptiness, nothing. You who rejoice in Lodabar, who say, hey, have we not by our own strength captured Karnaim for ourselves? We rejoice in nothing, in emptiness. Like the perversion is, hey, look, everybody, it's nothing. Everybody get excited about nothing. We rejoice in nothing. And then we claim for ourselves a self-made victory. Here I am, doing what I do, and look at all the things that I have accomplished as a result of this. That's perversion. That, that is the, that is the uh, taking of what God has done and twisting it such that now somehow I am the hero of this story. That's spiritual arrogance. It may sound something like this. Just try this on for size. God, I know better than you about this. I know better than you about this particular issue, this particular topic. Or, God, I know better how, I know better than you how this should unfold. I know better than you about this thing. I know better than you, God, how this thing should go. Or, God, I know better than you um, uh, as to when this thing should go. How this thing should go about this thing itself, and when it should happen. I know better than you about these things. Cool. Not good. Arrogance is never just spiritual, but it is spiritual at its core. Like it works itself out in our relationships and in societies, this kind of thing. But it's never just, it's never just um, 
never just spiritual. So, uh, it, and it's never less than that. I guess I would say it that way. Um, I said this a few weeks ago in a meeting, and I, I just wanted to bring it out here. Um, I think one of the things that God is doing regarding this particular situation and description here of spiritual arrogance, I think one of the God's, one of the things God's doing as he's worked us through Habakkuk and now through Amos, we got James in the fall. This is a pretty, you know, heavy teaching year in terms of our biblical intake as a church family. Um, I think one of the God's, one of the things God is doing is reminding us of the biblical categories. Biblical categories are basically love and hate, truth, and falsehood. Like, those are the big categories. And when we have big categories like that, we can live big into those stories. The categories, though, that we typically operate in or typically respond to are cultural and very, very small. Left, right. Pro, con. For or anti. Uh, liberal, conservative. Can we bring it down? Legal and illegal. I went for it in the 830. I'm going for it here, okay? Did we have anything break out on Friday that went from legal to illegal? I, I rejoice. Listen, I rejoice in the ruling, but let's not kid ourselves. The vast majority of the work is ahead of us, not behind us. Legal and illegal is a small, small category. We've got a huge opportunity as like the church, our church, yes, but the church to step out and to, to be a part of our culture changing such that something isn't just uh, illegal now. It's like unwanted, like it's unthinkable. Like we, we can change, like let's be a part of the people who bring the kingdom to single moms and to kids in need and foster care, all the other stuff. Let's be a part of the solution of raising men who want to be dads. Let's be a part of that. Most of the work is ahead of us. And so to live into that category, live to, to step into that big of a story, that's the kind of people we want to be. Otherwise, our little bitty categories we can be in control of our little kingdoms, but we miss out on the vast and eternal kingdom that could be ours. Small circles make for small kingdoms. We don't want to be that. Here, here's the danger. We talked about the danger of spiritual arrogance. We've had, Amos has kind of helped us identify it, living as, uh, in God's place but not as God's people. Uh, a kind of uh, comfort that numbs us to the spiritual um, things that are around us in this inverting and perverting of what God said is true. What's the danger of that? The danger of that is J.J. Watt on the other side of the line. Look at verse 8, Amos chapter 6. The Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. I abhor. Did anybody use the word abhor in a sentence this week? I just want to... Fantastic. I abhor the pride of Jacob. I, uh, like with fiery hate, hate the pride of Jacob. And I, I hate its strongholds. I'll deliver up the city and all that's in it. If ten men remain in a house, they'll die. And if one man's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up the bones out of the house, shall say to him who's in the innermost part, is anyone still with you? No. He says, and silence, we must not even mention the name of the Lord because 
of the opposition that they're facing. Here's the danger. The danger is divine opposition. Um, why do you say that? Because his hatred for, for his hatred for pride is very real. I abhor the pride of Jacob. He does not meet our arrogance with understanding. Church family, can we make some space for that? God is a very patient and understanding God. I'm going to bring my brokenness to you, God. Okay, yeah, I can handle that. I'm going to bring this to you, God. Yes, let's sit down and visit about that. I'm going to bring this other thing to you, God, and all the struggles that I have. And God meets us in that moment. Listen, when we, when we stand in our pride, he does not meet our arrogance with understanding. He meets our arrogance with J.J. Watt flag football opposition. That's what we're talking about. I hate, I abhor the pride of Jacob. To be clear, because this is where some people get kind of torqued. To be clear, because some people think, man, the God of the like first half of this book, he seems kind of mad all the time. To be clear, this is not just the God of the Old Testament waking up on the wrong side of the bed and having a bad day. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 23, says this. To the scribes and the Pharisees who were prideful, full of arrogance, he says some crazy stuff like, you know what you're like, guys? You're like a whitewashed cemetery. You've got beautiful paint and the lawn is really manicured, but you're full of death. That's red letter material, Matthew chapter 23. Hey, you know what you're like? You're like the folks who go on mission and you, you uh, go across land and sea and you make a convert, but the convert is twice the son of hell as you are because of your arrogance. You know what you're like? You're like a pot that somebody's stuck in the sink and they managed to just wash away the outside, but the inside, man, there's still stuff growing in there. It's full of rot and grossness. And on and on and on. He's got seven of them he unleashes on them. James, his little brother, chapter 4, verse 6, and then again in verse 10. Uh, hey, look, God opposes the proud, but there's grace for the humble. Divine opposition. This is Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5. I wanted everybody to see this. The first five verses of chapter 5 are, are about uh, leadership in the church. And then he rolls out this beauty right here in verse 6. So this is for leaders and everybody else. Clothe yourselves, all of you, not most of you, not some of you, and certainly you leaders, this applies to you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and at the proper time, he will exalt you. God opposes the proud. Active verb. Standing against you and your pride right this moment. And if we don't humble ourselves, he will humble us. But, but, if we do humble ourselves, what happens? God, his opposition turns to the kind of resurrection power that goes to work in me and for me to 
exalt me. I don't know exactly what that means, but to, to build someone up, to, to lift someone up. So when I humble myself, God, listen, I, I, I know that I don't have it all figured out, whatever, whatever. Here's my expression of humility. Here I am. I'm coming. I'm not going to stand in my pride. I'm not going to let my arrogance come before you so that you would oppose it. I'm going to um, humble myself. I'm going to bend my knee. I'm going to say, God, you are God and I am not. You're in charge. I am not. I'm giving you all of that. God, here I am. It says that in that proper time, his power is going to go to work to exalt you, to lift you up. So this, this is what it may sound like. If you're a note taker, feel free to jot these down. If you prefer, you grab your phone, take a picture. It never bothers me. But here's hope. Here's hope that when we humble ourselves, God is willing. He is willing to, to work on our behalf. Here's what it may sound like. God... I don't know everything, so what I want isn't always right. God, I don't know everything, so what I fear isn't always warranted. God, I I don't know everything, so what I understand about this situation, it's not always comprehensive. God, I don't know everything. So what I am willing to do isn't always sufficient. God, God, I don't know what to do. So what I'm feeling isn't always appropriate. Sometimes it is, but not always. That may be what humbling yourself sounds like. And the the flip side of that, this second slide. Because I don't know everything, therefore, I humble myself and ask, God, help me to want what you want. God, I humble myself and ask, help me to have your perspective on these things, whatever it may be. God, I humble myself and and I ask, help me to align my feelings that can somehow, at times, man, really go off the rails here. Help me to align myself and my feelings with the truth. God, I don't know everything, and so I humble myself and I ask, help me to surrender my will to you. To you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And at the proper time, he goes to work to lift you up in whatever way is best for you. There's a couple of questions to ponder that will pop up on the screen again. Feel free just to take a shot of that, a a picture of that if you want. And I want to lead us in a prayer and just ask for God to humble us, to to receive us in this moment as we humble ourselves. Maybe you've got some arrogance in you that you need to kind of offload and go, God, I don't want to be that person. Maybe you've got something else that you need to say to the Lord. Maybe uh, you have told stories about yourself that make you the hero. Or maybe you've told stories about yourself that are so full of lies that the things that you're saying are not true. That pride can go either way. Whatever it may be, take these moments here. We'll pause. Take these moments here to pray. We'll set ourselves before God, humble ourselves before God, and trust him to lift us up. Let's take a minute and pray. Start that prayer with whatever you need to say to him, however...
However, you need to wrestle with him or let him wrestle with you. Start that prayer that way. Uh, Father, we, we do believe that we are heard today not because we're so awesome, but because you are. Not because we have made our own way to you, but because you have made a way for us to you. Our prayers are reaching your ears right now because of you. So we start there as we humble ourselves. And God, there's certainly arrogance in all of us that needs to be dealt with. And so, Spirit of God, would you go to work on us, in us, so that what needs to be pulled out or reshaped or um, yielded, would that, that would be our experience this morning. We, we so don't want to flip things upside down or, or change them in such a way, rotate them in such a way that um, they're, they're out of perspective altogether. We want to see you for who you are and we want to humble ourselves in light of that. So please, do your work. Receive the honor that you're due from us. We humble ourselves. Continue to work. Continue to speak. Thanks for hearing us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.